0: This morning, I want you to turn to the book of Joshua. As we go to the book of Joshua, uh, I asked Miss Sarah this this morning while we were doing our drive time video. I said, Do you remember what I preached about last Sunday? And uh, I sort of had that deer in the headlight look. And uh, she said, I, 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 I said, you forgot to remember, didn't you? Yeah, you know, she forgot to remember. it as, And then I said, do you remember I preached about three strikes and you're out? She automatically said, yeah, yeah, that's what you preached about. So I want to ask you a question. Does anybody remember what I preached about last Sunday? Three strikes and you're out. I, we preached about, we pre- I preached and I used for text, I used for text, uh, the account of Rahab the harlot. In, uh, found in Joshua chapter 2, and as we, as I preach from there, uh, I preach about, Rahab three, had three strikes against her. Uh, number one, uh, you know, she was a, uh, she was a, uh, commoner, if you would. She was, she was, uh, uh of the, what would become the Gentile persuasion. She, uh, she was a Canaanite. She was a woman, and woman, women, ladies, that does not speak against you, but we have to put that in the culture of the time. She was a female in a, uh, in a time when females were considered no more than slaves in reality. And uh, she was also a prostitute. She had three strikes, three heavy strikes against her, but yet God chose her and God used her to serve His purpose in His kingdom. And as you study the lineage of Rahab, uh Forward, you find at, that she is a, uh, she is a ancestor or Jesus actually is a descendant from the line of Ahab as far as the female line is concerned. And, and so she plays an important part in the salvation that we enjoy today. So it, and no matter where you're at, what you've done, where you've been, or anything that's going on in your life, if God wants to use you, he can use you if you will allow him to do so. Amen. Now, this morning I want to preach to you from the 3rd chapter of Joshua. Let's just turn over another page or two. And as we go to Joshua chapter 3, uh it's still the the same uh the same goings on. Uh Joshua is uh now leading he is preparing to lead Israel into the Canaan land. Canaan is the land of promise. Now, you know, I I hey you know, I'm of that age. I grew up uh even though my my parents weren't Christians, they weren't church going people, they weren't uh they weren't saved when I was a child. And uh I but I could remember getting up on Sunday morning at our house And on Sunday morning, you turned on the black and white RCA TV, you unhooked one antenna wire, and you got W. what was then WHIS TV, it's WVVA now, we could get WHIS from Bluefield. One show that would come on on Sunday mornings was Sister Viola Clark. (laughs) Precious Lord, take my hand. Y'all remember that? Some of y'all older ones. Y'all smiling at me. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Sister Viola. But then there was another show that came on. It was called the Gospel Singing Jubilee. And Howard and Vestal would come on there and they would sing a song. Egypt was once my home. I was a slave. Was helpless and Sid in Rome, love like I did crave. But anyway, the course of the song went, but I'm living in Canaan now. Canaan, Canaan, you see, sometimes we hear people talk about Canaan and they talk about Canaan has been, uh, out in the future somewhere. But when you study the the scripture and you really look at Canaan, Canaan was the promise of god the 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 wilderness was a forty year period between the bondage of egypt and and uh, a, a generation of people that walk in to walking in disobedience. And then, now we come up to the book of Joshua. In the book of Joshua, he uses uh, Rahab, the unqualified harlot. God qualifies her to, to play a role in leading Israelite up to the Jordan River because they're about ready to cross into Canaan. Canaan is not heaven. Canaan is actually the promise of God. If you think Canaan is... what You're not going to experience Canaan until you're getting to heaven. You don't understand the metaphoric illustration of Canaan in Scripture. Because Canaan is literally the promise of God. And when we come to know the Lord, we cross over from that generation of bondage... And desert living into the promise of God. (coughs) That's where we find ourselves at in Joshua chapter 3 this morning. Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim. Shittim is the way that's pronounced. And went to Jordan where they camped before crossing over. Notice this. After three days... They camped for three days. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the Levitical priests carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go since you have never been this way before. But keep a distance of about 2,000 cubits between you and the ark. Do not go near it. Joshua told the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Father, we ask that you bless the reading of your word and bless us as we receive your message this morning in Jesus' name. I want to preach to you about the power of three, the power of three. Last week, I preached to you and, and then my message was centered around three strikes and you're out. A woman that was, she was a Canaanite. She was a woman indeed. And she was also a harlot, but God used her. As we continue on this morning, uh, along the thought of three, and I want to share with you a, a, a principle of three that is used throughout Scripture. Sometimes we, we often hear of people referring to the number seven as it's used in Scripture, or, or even the number twelve in Scripture. We hear much talk about those two numbers. Seven is probably the most popular we hear, sometimes we hear, uh, we'll hear, especially in this age that we live in, uh, we hear talk about the number of man, 666, and, and most uh, people don't like that. I've been in stores before and somebody would ring up uh, they, their cash register sales and it would come to $6.66 and they would buy a pack of chewing gum or something just so it wouldn't ring up 666. You know, really apprehensive about that number. So there's a lot of numbers that have some significant meanings to us in Scripture, but we really don't think about three that often. There's a biblical principle of three that's found more than 75 times in Scripture and uh if you all have time, we'll read over all 75 of those this morning. No, not really. Not really. We're not going to do all 75. But I want to share some of these with you uh somewhere close to a, a dozen or so maybe. When we think about Scripture, when we go back and study in Genesis, we find it was on the third day that the earth brought forth vegetation. Seed-bearing plants of every kind, trees of every kind bearing fruit. We find that on the third day that God separated the land from the water. On the third day, the Scripture declares or defines in Genesis 22, that it was on the third day that Abraham looked up and he saw the place, Mount Moriah, the place that he would take his one and only son, Isaac, to sacrifice. It was on day three that it came into Abram's eyesight. Oh, it was on the third day that God descended on Mount Sinai in the fire and the smoke with the sound of the shofar, And it was on that third day that the Ten Commandments were revealed Unto Moses, when we go to Second Kings, we find it was on the third day after asking God for mercy. On the third day, King Hezekiah is healed of a fatal illness, a illness that was destined to take his life. We find that Lazarus was dead and had laid in the tomb for three days. When Jesus showed up and called his name, Lazarus, to come forth. We find, of course, we're we're quickly approaching Resurrection Sunday, the Easter season we call it. And we know that Jesus on the third day confirmed the prophecy that the temple would be torn down, but would be rebuilt in third in three days, as Jesus would raise from the grave. The significance. Of the resurrection and Easter Sunday. Three, as you study scripture, three is considered to be the number of truth. Three is the number of truth. Jews believe that anything done in a sequence of threes is permanent, indestructible, and irreversible. So as you study, especially the Old Testament, you will find many things occurring in threes. The Torah, which is the five, first five books of scripture as we know it, was given to three groups. It was given to the priests, the Levites, and the Israelites on the third month by the third born of Moses, which was Amron. Third of, born of Amron, which is Moses. So, so we find the number three represents many things. The number three significantly, significantly represents the past The present and the future. When we begin to think about three, three is an incredible number. But there's three things that I want to share with you this morning along the lines of three as we look at this story of Joshua. It's the final hours, one would think. Maybe even moments, but at least the final hours, the final days before they're making preparation to go over into the promise. We know the scripture that we read this morning says that three days they sat up camp at Shatim and they waited for, for the time to go across. And that is the, the first of the, the three points that I want to make to you this morning is that There was patience that was required to enter into the promise of God. Waiting is tough. Most of us don't like it. The age that we live, listen, the the age that we live in, uh, you know, we're living in, 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 in the, 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 well beyond the age of the year of 2000. I can remember, it, it doesn't seem like, how could it be 22 years since the, the Y2K? Some of you in this room weren't even born when Y2K occurred. Let me tell you what happened, in case you weren't around during Y2K. Everybody was everybody was frantic. They were expecting that the, the, the world was going to come to an end. <coughs> All the computerized clocks were going to play out. Nothing was going to roll over. The power grids were going to go black, weren't they, AK? We were ready for everything to happen. Yeah. I, I remember having that that uh the church that I pastored at that time, we had a New Year's Eve, they used to call them watch night service. We had a New Year's Eve service, and it was a small church and it, it wouldn't see but about sixty people. But on that night, on that New Year's night, uh New Year's uh, Eve night on nineteen ninety nine, we saw that little church full of people. We had red back hymnals. We weren't singing out of them, we had them stacked up. And people sitting on them all around the walls. They were sitting on anything. They were sitting on laps. They were sitting on each other. They were sitting on songbooks. They were sitting on mop buckets. It was, that place was full. They were expecting something, something dramatic was going to happen. Maybe even the return of the Lord. And we were having a service. We were having ourselves a time. I mean, we, we had a, we had a group of singers in with a red hot guitar picker. Man, he was wearing that guitar out and, and we were having sir, We had some strong preaching and we were having ourselves a time and we started getting close to the midnight hour, five minutes till midnight. We call for a, a time of prayer and we're pr- playing, they're playing and we're praying. The, the, the new year in. And I mean, people were, it was intense. You could have cut the, the intensity of worship in that room. You could have cut it with a knife. One of the giftings of, one of the works of the flesh, it's really not a gifting of the spirit, but one of the works of the flesh, it should be named as mischievousness. Sometimes that arises up within me. That work of mischievousness, as I was praying, I, 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 I was praying, I, I, I experienced a, a, a momentary... I just, had a, I just had a moment of carnal thinking while I was praying. And I, John, I began to think, wonder what would happen if I went back there and cut the main breaker about right now in the building. You're talking about a mass revival and repent. We would have had it. We don't like waiting. We've been waiting on Jesus a long time. Some of us. We've been waiting on Him to come. We've been waiting on some of His promises. We've been waiting on Him. But listen to me. We, we must have patience. I still believe in the imminent return of the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't, I believe that He's going to come when He wants to, how He wants to, in the hour that He wants to. Israel had to wait three days in an unpleasant place, Shatim. You see, Shatim was an unpleasant place because it was located in the desert, number one, but it was the place where the Achaia tree grew. The Achaia tree, it was a grew, it was a dry, thorny bush. In, in other words, it was like something that you and I would spray, or if you like me, I just got that new handy dandy weed eater with the brush cutter on it. I would have stuck that weed, that big steel weeder right in the Achaia bush and cut it off. But they dwelt in the land of the Achaia bush for three days. They were camped out there. There was probably reptiles. There was probably snakes. There was probably all kind of desert creatures. It was a dry and it was a barren place. It is believed that probably the Achaia tree was the same kind of tree that God revealed Himself to with when He revealed Himself to Moses in the burning bush. It was, a, it was a dry, barren, desert place. But God said, you must stay here and be patient for three days. You know, sometimes God takes us to places that seemingly are dry and they are barren. Sometimes it seems like we're in the middle of thorn bushes and poisonous lizards and crawling snakes. Sometimes everything seems unpleasant in our life, but if we will have patience in waiting on God, He is about ready to do something great in our life. And those waiting places are not comfortable places. For Abraham, it was a long journey. It was a desert journey. And the thoughts of sacrificing His son up on top of that mountain. For Esther, it was three days of fasting, knowing that the king may possibly take her life when she into His presence. For Lazarus, it was three days of being in a cold, dark, wet, damp, burial tomb. You and I have been in some uncomfortable places as well. We may be in those uncomfortable places right now, but if we will wait upon the Lord, He will renew our strength. If we will wait upon the Lord, He will bless us. If we will wait upon the Lord, He has something great in store for us. For three days, the power of three. For three days they waited. The second thing that occurred is we must learn a lesson of purpose. They not only had to wait three days, but they had to learn purpose. That purpose is, if you would, operating in your God's time. You see, when we look at the Scripture, the Scripture that we read this morning said, When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the Levitical priests carrying it, you are to move out of your positions and follow it. I want you to notice this. He said in the Scripture, he said, When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God. Now, everybody that calls, that says Lord is not serving God. But when, when when Jesus really has become Lord to us it means that we are following him. Other than that it's just if you would just an, a verbal expression. Sometimes we use it slangly. We'll say, well Lord have mercy. Lordy goodness. And we'll use the Lord all, in all kinds of ways. I, I, I believe I believe in the good Lord, but you may not be serving. You see, because when He is Lord of our life, we're serving. He is He is He has taken the place of authority in our life. First and foremost, in establishing that relationship is, is with the Lord your God. It's not enough to be just to recognize that God is Lord, but we must uh, we must know Him as Lord. I, there's not too many people other than maybe some atheists and some of them just lie about it that, that have a trouble recognizing Jesus as Lord. Most people will, will acknowledge that and say that, but, but it takes a believing, it takes a, a conscious uh, faith of the heart that causes us to believe in Him as being our Lord and our God. We have to know Him. You see, in verse uh, in the verse we looked at, or the scriptures that we looked at this morning, we find a, a representation of God that's found in the Ark of the Covenant. Now, the Ark of the Covenant, uh, it represents the the presence of God. It represents the person of God. The Ark in itself was not God, but yet it represented the presence of God. In that Ark of the Covenant, we saw the... The tablets of stone. We see the rod of Aaron. We see the things that represented God in the lives of the Israelites. We see the, the on the top of that ark is the mercy seat. We, we see all of those things as a representation of the presence of God. They could see, literally with their eyes, the presence of God. You and I, I would ask us a question this morning. Do we have a vision of God? Do we, do we see God? Now, you know, there's some, there's some really neat songs like, uh, there was one, uh, Dolly Parton wrote. Any Dolly Parton fans in the house? Two of them. Dolly Parton wrote a song, you know, uh, about looking all around over nature and seeing God's coloring book. We, we can look around and we can see, we can see God in the beauty of the sunset. We can see God in the, in the, the spring. The trees are starting to bud out and before long, if Jack Frost don't get them, there'll be little pink blossoms and little white blossoms and dark red blossoms and, and, and purple and violet colors. And we'll see all the beauties of spring and we'll see all the beauties of God. But that's not what I'm talking about. But do we see the beauty of God? Do we have a vision of God as we go to the Scripture, as we open His Word? Listen, the best place in the world, I haven't literally seen God. I, I, I'm not able to really. My my body can't contain it. My, my I don't have that ability and neither do, does your body have that ability to see God in the natural sense. But I can see God when I open the words of His Scripture and I begin to study it and I begin to experience the Scripture and I see God and I, I sense God when I begin to feel His Holy Spirit moving. And keep in mind, I always say that the Spirit and the Word are always going to work together. They are joined together at the hip. You see, when we get to where we can see God through the power of the Word and the power of the Spirit, seeing literally speaks a vision. And when we can keep our eye on God, and that's what Joshua is saying to his people, you need to keep your eye on the Ark of the Covenant. Whatever, whatever happens with the Ark of the Covenant, that is what you will do. When it goes forward, you will go forward. When it stops, you will stop. When it rests, you will rest. And when we begin to put ourselves in the place where we, our eyesight, our spiritual eyesight, if you would, is sensitive to the will of God, we will begin to find His purpose. Even throughout the waiting, we will find the purpose of God in our life. We need vision. We need vision. Vision, another word for vision, uh, in scripture is revelation. In fact, most of us, most of us in this, uh, room that speaks good Christianese, we can, we can at least paraphrase that scripture that says, where there is no vision, people perish. And that vision in, in, that word vision in itself means revelation. Where there is no revelation, people perish. We need to have a revelation. Of who God is. We need to have a revelation. Of, of God through the man Jesus Christ. And we will never have that revelation. Short of an intimate up close personal relationship with him. And that relationship is established through faith. And that, uh, that relationship is fed through word and worshiping in the spirit. So we find our purpose in God. So not only do we. Find ourselves patient in the power of three. We find ourselves in purpose. And then we also find ourselves in His presence. In the time preceding Joshua chapter three, when you study Scripture, and most of us know this story, in Joshua chapter, leading up to Joshua chapter three, 40 years in the wilderness, we find that the Israelites followed a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And when we think about that, that's pretty neat, isn't it? Other than I like sunshiny days. But what the cloud and the pillar of fire speak of are God's provision. He protected them from the, the hot sun and the, in the desert during the day, and, and desert gets very cold at night, and He, he provided them for, for protection and warmth during the night. But when we study Scripture, we find that God also fed them, uh, in particular, God fed them with a flaky, a white flaky substance that, that was called manna. Manna actually means, what is it? They really didn't understand what it was, but yet they ate it because God was providing it. God gave them some specific instruction. He said, don't don't try to hoard it up. Don't try to can it or freeze it or do anything like that because it's going to spoil. He said, except on the, on the sixth day, he said, and then you can keep enough provisions to last you over the Sabbath because he didn't give manna on the Sabbath. Day of rest. But we find as we begin to look at this transition from moving from the desert, from the bondage to the desert place into the promise, we look there and we find that there came a time and there came the day when the cloud no longer appeared. The pillar of fire was no longer glowing in the nighttime hour and the manna ceased to exist. Wow. What happened? God began to change things. God began to God began to alter uh what what and how in the way that he was doing some things. And what we find is he begins to take his people through the transition. Because no longer would they follow a cloud or a pillar of fire, but now they would begin to follow this Ark of the Covenant that I described earlier. Wooden chest, if you would, overlaid with gold, and it had Tablets of stone, uh, the Ten Commandments of God, which gave direction. It has Aaron's rod, which represents God's power, and it has a pot of manna, which represents God's provision. You see, it was the new season, but it was the same God that you're being called to follow. But God didn't change the, the way the way that the representation in front of the people's eyes, the the the. Cloud was gone. The pillar of fire was gone. The manna ceased to fall from heaven. And, and so, but it was yet; it was still the same God. Same God, new season. You see, but the key of it is here: is Joshua. Uh, God is revealing Himself to Joshua. Joshua is revealing God to the people, and it's up to them to identify the presence of God. And once they identify the presence of God, is to follow Him. Now, God's principles are unchanging. God's word is unchanging. But we've seen God, some of us in this room, down through the years that we've served Him, we've seen the Lord manifest in many different ways through many different seasons. Y'all remember a few years ago when there was a, a laughter, a wave of laughter that went through the churches? You remember you, I, I can remember I can remember different things, and sometimes i don't i don't know sometimes i've quite frankly i've wondered if they were just fads but but, but we saw we've saw many different transition even in our lifetimes in in, worship, in, the, in ministry, in the way god's doing things i I don't think we can put God in a box. We can't put him in a box and and lock him up, but we identify his presence. And once we identify his presence, we identify the ark. We see the ark of the covenant and we begin to follow. When God used Moses to part the Red Sea, when you read the scripture, he told Moses to stretch out your rod over the sea. And when Moses did, the sea parted and it rolled back and, and all of those Israelites crossed over on dry ground and then all of the Egyptian army was drowned. But now it's 40 some years later and God's saying to Joshua, I want you to have those Levites, those priests that had the Ark of the Covenant, I want you to have them to step into the water. There was no rod stretched forth. You see, it was, a, it was a similar work, the same work, the same objective to take people into the land of promise. But it was happening just a little bit different this time. There was no Moses, but there was an the Ark of the Covenant. There was no rod in Aaron's hand. But what there was, was the Ark of the Covenant, which was the presence of God. And God said, just go ahead and step in the water. And when they stepped in the water of the Jordan, you see the waters that were coming from the north and they begin to back up, read it, they begin to back up and they formed a wall. And when you read the, that, that they stepped into the Jordan, the, the, the waters to the south, they kept flowing and flowed right on out into the Dead Sea. You see, God is on the same journey to the same destination. He was just doing something just a little bit different you and I have an opportunity every single day of our life to step into some deeper waters. And by that I mean a more intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. More than Joshua, more than the Jews that would follow him across that Jordan River. You see, the intimacy of knowing God through Jesus Christ is a blessing that I think we most of the time take for granted. You say, oh man, that's been some 2000, probably 2033 now, What? do the math, 55. 2055 years ago, you know, that Jesus came. You know, that's old news. But do you realize the old news is still the new news? And the old news is still the good news. That Jesus came, that we may have life, and we may have it more abundantly. And we may have to be patient, we've got to be purposeful, and we have, we need to be sensitive to His presence. But oh, what a day that we live in. What a day, what a, what a dispensation of time that we get to be alive because we don't follow an ark around. We don't follow a chest that's covered in gold. And, and, and I still believe that Ark of the Covenant exists somewhere in the world today, probably in the vicinity of the Holy Land. That Ark of the Covenant, I believe, still exists. Somebody has possession possession of it. But that's beside the point this morning. But what I do know, I don't follow an Ark of the Covenant Covenant, but I follow the presence of God through his only begotten son, the Lord Jesus Christ, that says, when I go away, I'm not going to leave you alone, but I'm going to send to you another comforter and he is the Holy Ghost and he not only is going to live among us, but he is abiding in us. So I don't look toward just an Ark of the covenant, but I look for a savior that bled and died on a cross and was buried in a tomb and rose in three days. And then just a few days later, he sent another comforter with us. And I love that old song we used to sing. He abides, he abides, hallelujah, he abides with me. I'm rejoicing night and day as I walk the narrow way because the comforter abides with me. You see, it's that intimacy of knowing Jesus. God become incarnate. He lived and He knew no sin. He was buried in three days. Think about this. The principle of three. He was buried in three days. He sealed the completeness of our salvation. He can be found in the person of three persons. Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One God in three persons. We may have seasons of waiting... But when we follow the presence of the Lord into the chilly Jordan, we can watch the water stand to our north and flow away to us from our south. When we're following Jesus, we may have to wait a little while. We may have to dwell by the river. We may have to step into the cold river. In faith that it's going to part, but I want you to know that when we are truly following Jesus, one thing that we can count on for sure, He is going to boldly take us in to His promise. You see, because Joshua followed the directions of God, when, whenever those priests stepped into that Jordan River with that Ark of the Covenant, I've already told you, the waters to the north rolled back, the waters to the south kept flowing, And those people crossed into Canaan. They crossed in boldly into the promise of God because somebody was obedient. It wasn't the same way Moses had led them. It was different, but yet it was God's way. And there was a leader that they could trust and he led them into the promise of God. By no means am I telling you I'm a Joshua because I'm not. I'm just a frail piece of flesh. I'm just a, I'm just a human being that, that fails miserably. But let me tell you this. You see, our Joshua our Joshua in reality was none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the Lord Jesus Christ that, that that gave the directions. It's the Lord Jesus Christ that's at the helm of the ship. It's the Lord Jesus Christ that's given direction. It's the Lord Jesus Christ that said, "I've stepped into the water and the waters have parted. Now you can walk into my presence." You see, the Lord Jesus Christ is, a, if you would, he is. A, Joshua was a type of Jesus. Jesus has made a way for us to step into the promise. So you may have been waiting a while. You may have been working on purposing yourself. And today maybe you need to pursue His presence. see, because I, I'm, I don't mean to appear doomsday, because I'm, I'm not, because number one, I don't believe in doomsday, per se. But I do believe in a Jesus that is coming back. I believe he, he's, come, he's, he's already come one time. And in that trip, he paid the sin debt on the cross for you and me. He conquered death, hell, and the grave as he was, as he laid in that tomb three days and he was resurrected. His next coming, he's not gonna step foot on earth just yet, but he's coming for a, a people that are right and ready to go. He, he's gonna, as we used to say, we, we, we would depict it, dramatize it in this way. He's gonna step out on the clouds of glory and he's gonna sound the call for the church to come home. I still believe in that by the way. And the church, the scripture says that those who have died in Christ, that the graves are going to have to give way. The, the 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 more the the, uh, the the entombment, the stones that people that are entombed, the stones are going to have to give way. I believe the ocean will, and the rivers and the lakes will give up the dead, and the dead will, that have died in Christ will come forth, and those which are alive and remain, we will meet them together. We'll we'll, be, we'll catch up with them right in the middle of the air to ever be with the Lord. And then we get to come back with Him again. That's gonna be good. It's gonna be a bad time for the earth in many ways, but it's gonna be good. And we're not gonna have to do anything. We're just gonna be we're just gonna be along for the ride. But let me tell you something. I'm not, I, I said I'm not a doomsday preacher. I'm not a doomsday preacher. I believe in the glorious return. I believe in the catching away of the church. I believe in the glorious return of Jesus Christ. I believe one foot setting on land, the other foot setting on sea, and the declaration made that time will be no more. And I believe that the earth and the fullness thereof is going to be given over to the glory of God the way He intended for it to be. But let me tell you something. All of that still has to happen. It hasn't happened yet. We're seeing a lot of things around us taking shape. Uh, last night, uh, I did music. I did music at a venue. Some music at a venue, and at that venue, they had a stage, and we were backstage in this venue, and they had all kind of props. They had they had play props and, and different scenes and different little pieces of of uh, furniture and things like that that they use for their set when they're doing plays and different things and and and, and everything is there all it has to be is set and let me tell you the stage is already set for jesus to return the stage is set nothing else has to be done don't 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 take too much worry in reading the latest events and trying to figure out when Jesus is going to come because every, the stage is set. And all, all we're waiting on is the sound of the trumpet voice of God to, to alert and to call us home. That listen, everything has been done that needs to be done, and Jesus is coming, and He's coming soon. Are we ready to cross into the promise? For the Israelites, it took some patience, it took purpose, and it took pursuing His presence. That's still what it's going to take to cross into those promises. Are you ready to enter into Canaan? Are you ready to find yourself in His promise? Now, if Jesus doesn't come back in the next few years, and I'm still here, you know what? I'm still in His promise. I've been I've been walking in this promise for 40-some years now. I'm still looking for it. But I believe it's getting closer. I want you to bow your heads. I want you to close your eyes. I could go on and on. But I want to ask you this this morning. If you're here in this room or if you're watching by live stream and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ... You need to know Him. In the principle of three, you need to know Him. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's how you know God. But the way you come to Him is through and by the Son. Through and by Jesus. Jesus' blood that was shed on Calvary. Jesus' back that was beaten for your healing. The sin debt was purchased for you on that cross. The victory over death, hell, and the grave was was secured for you as He came out of that tomb in three days. God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But a plan, a personal, individual relationship secured for you through Jesus Christ. Are you in this room today? And I promise you I won't embarrass a single person in here. That's not my job. That's not what I'm about. But you're in this room and today, today, you have a need. You need to know Jesus as your personal Savior. You need to cross over into the promise of God. Maybe you've backslidden. Maybe you once followed Him. but Maybe you've drifted far away. You've been a prodigal and you've wandered from home. It's a good day to come back. But you're in this room right now, or maybe you're even watching at home, and you say, Preacher, I need to make my way back to Jesus today. I need to make my way to the Lord the first time. Would you real quickly just slip up your hand that I can pray for you? promise I won't embarrass you. Is there one person in this room this morning, good-looking congregation this morning, nobody's looking around, is there one person that would slip up your hand?